So it's no surprise that in our Catholic world this week, and indeed throughout the country and the wider world, a lot of attention was given to the Supreme Court decision. And just because of the job that I had, I got a number of requests from media asking, usually, well, what do you feel about this? Or what do you think about this? Or what do you think Catholics' response should be? And then kind of anticipating that that question would come, I had given a lot of prayer and discernment to it. And the answer that I gave before anything else was to say, the way I think anyone who's trying to follow the Christian spiritual life should feel is the way they should have felt a week ago and the way they should feel a week from now. And that's committed. Above everything else, we should feel committed in the Christian spiritual life. Committed to understand what is the wider context in which any of these decisions live. So if you just wanna zero in, and this is hardly the only thing I'm going to talk about, but if you just wanna zero in on the Supreme Court decision and that whole issue of abortion, we've known for a long time that the most effective way to reduce abortions is through education through education, through trying to improve someone's state in life, men and women. And that's not someone just saying what they'd like to see the answer to be. There's hard data for that, and we've known it for a long time. Commitment means you roll up your sleeves and you look at the question and you say, what is the broader context? How do we begin to address the situation in which such momentous decisions are made on the individual level? But then think of what that means and how broader that is. If education plays such a critical role, we're willing to pay teachers what they deserve to be paid. Anyone who's familiar with a Catholic school knows that the door to the teacher's lounge should be a revolving door. So many young teachers come in and they wanna raise a family or have a decent wage. They can't stay there for long and quickly they're out the door again not because that's the commitment of their heart, but because they have little choice. And what if society as a whole, what if everyone who was very grateful and pleased about the Supreme Court decision, what if before that decision and what if long after it, they said, all right, what do we do to improve education? Not just in those counties that are blessed with amazing school systems that cause people to move there, from wherever else they're living so their kids can get a great education, well, what would it mean? That would take commitment, that would take money, that would take lobbying, that would take all kinds of things that would be difficult and challenging and would eat up time on the clock and would eat into our own finances. And you could take this with anything that we believe in, in the Christian spiritual life, anything where we'd like to see a change, where we recognize there's something here we're embracing as a society where we could certainly do better because this is ultimately where God is calling us to be. But commitment is not an easy thing. And I'm mentioning this today, not just because of what happened on Friday, but because what happened on Friday is a particularly powerful illustration of what gets talked about in the gospel and the other readings today, and frankly, what would apply any day as we strive to live the Christian spiritual life. 
Paul says it so powerfully in our second reading. He's saying, look, if your life has really been transformed by who Jesus is and what he's done, and you've been baptized into that life, then you've got freedom. That's the fruit of that grace, freedom. But the only reason you have freedom is so that you can commit yourself to live in love, right? He says you were made for freedom, but not the freedom simply to take care of ourselves, but the freedom to care for each other in love. Now, no one knew better than Paul that to do that required a commitment, and a commitment that would be difficult at times, challenging at times. Now, think of how that plays out in that first reading, long before Jesus comes on the scene, where you have people who don't know what God's ultimate plan looks like. They know the God of Israel, and that's a pretty good God to know. And so you've got Elisha there. He has this call. He has this desire. I want to walk this spiritual journey with you, Elijah. But there's still that tug, right? That tug. Let me just go back and say goodbye. Okay. Makes perfect sense. We got to remember, though, he doesn't know what we know. He doesn't know the ultimate sweep of salvation history, that God would wade into our lives and we would receive grace in the Holy Spirit, a help that Elisha didn't have. But even then, he famously, and I'm hardly the first person to mention this, he takes his plow and he cuts it up and he uses it as firewood for a sacrifice to God. He takes that very symbol of his former way of life and he burns it. Now there's no going back. Yes, he went back to say goodbye to mom and dad, but as part of that, he celebrated a sacrificial feast with them, which cut the legs out from under his old way of life, and there would be no going back because commitment calls for that, a commitment of time, a commitment of livelihood. What would it take to improve the education of everyone in this country? What if, and now we're going to see this, what if far more babies are born moving forward than would have been born a month ago? Will we celebrate that life? But will we also celebrate the responsibility that goes with it? I had an uncle, he's since passed away. He was a very ardent supporter of life and dignity in all its forms. But he used to say, if tomorrow nobody had an abortion, it wouldn't be the end of unwanted pregnancies. And so would we all be willing to shoulder the cost of what it would take to love and care for those babies, not just at a bare subsistence level? And we know that now about half of the states with these so-called trigger laws are going into effect. Would those same legislators pass a baby tax, if I can call it that? Would we all be willing to say, okay, here's X percent of my salary to help support that beautiful life? I'm not saying that we wouldn't, but this idea of commitment, would we take our plows and burn them, knowing that our lives would never look the same way again? And then you get the gospel. And if you're like me, it's easy to forget that the folks in the gospel are not living the same, living in the same world that Paul lives in. Paul lives in our world. Paul lives in the post-resurrection world. 
Paul lives in the world where the Holy Spirit has come and given people something to help strengthen them that the folks in the gospel didn't have. They knew the man, Jesus of Nazareth, and that's great, but 99% of the gospel is before the resurrection, and it's all before Pentecost. And so when they say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, you still see these tinges of, but I don't want to completely give up the way I used to live. If the Samaritans tick me off, let's fry them with a the fire strike from heaven. You see that sense of, I want it to be my way. I don't want to commit if commitment means having to live side by side with these Samaritans. And they too, like Elisha, say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, we want to go with you. You're our guy. And in that is a little bit of an overtone. We want to live in a certain way. And we trust that that's where you're going to take us. And I want to go back and say goodbye to mother and father. But they have something Elisha didn't have. They have the presence and the teaching of Jesus. And so the stakes are a little bit higher in terms of what commitment should look like for them. And then finally, we get Paul. And I know we always do this backwards at Mass, right? We get Paul in the middle, then we get the Gospel. But temporally, they're reversed. Paul lives in a world that the folks in the Gospel didn't know. Paul lives in our world. And so just maybe a little spiritual exercise as we move into this next week of ordinary time, where I'm sure we have strong feelings around the Supreme Court decision. We have strong feelings around things that most of us probably don't think about every day. Other hardships, other ways that are still a long way from the Christian spiritual journey that we're called to walk. But some people think about them. I'll be brutally honest, I don't. And every now and then I meet someone who is committed in that way, and there's that twinge of conscious, but along with the guilt trip is inspiration. So just an invitation to think for us, what does the call to commitment look like? What is our version of burning the plows and saying, I'm going to take on a life that looks very different from the way I used to live, in how I spend my time, in how I spend my blessings? I want to go in a direction where I'll let Jesus tell me what it looks like to follow him. And I won't lay out my own agenda. And ultimately, like Paul, I'll count my blessings and I'll say, this is what freedom looks like for me. These are the opportunities that I have. These are the blessings that have been given to me. And the only reason I have that freedom is so that I can exercise responsibility. And what are the responsibilities that I have? Not just the obvious ones, the wonderful ones, my family, my relationships, my job, but what are the other responsibilities in those outer circles of my world that I rarely think about until they sort of erupt in the headlines, the daily news? And again, I'm not suggesting that everybody here isn't already doing that, but we're human. And there's times we can forget that there is a wider world and we can forget what real Christian commitment is calling us to. I don't think we should feel bad when Jesus says, hey, don't go back, let the dead bury their dead. I think we should feel inspired. Because unlike those folks in the gospel and unlike even Elisha, great prophet that he was, we have what Paul has. And that's an insight and a strength that all those other folks 
never could have imagined in their wildest dreams. We just need to always be reminded of it, I think. And that's why we gather on days like today.